Wake up, John Doe, you're the hope of the world. Everybody, uh, welcome to a special episode of uh, an actual podcast. Uh, actual comedy presents an actual podcast. I'm Angel Ace. and I'm Erin. And uh, yeah, we have a special episode uh, for you today. Um, if you've been keeping up uh, with our previous episodes, you know that uh, we just completed season one. Uh, and thank you for everybody that's listened to uh, it so far. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, shout out to everybody that's listened to it and. Uh, told your friends and family members to listen to it and have uh, sustained those weird looks from your family members when you try to explain 
something that you thought was funny that you heard on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, try explaining it to your own family members who are like, why are you almost 40 and doing this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to listen to all the episodes to figure it out. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a puzzle. Yeah. And this is a piece of it, honestly. Exactly. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, we just finished season one. Uh, we're working on uh, doing some stand-up stuff in the meantime uh, while we prepare for season two, which will be starting pretty soon. Um, but in the meantime, we decided to, uh, I guess, release this uh, concept that we had uh, as like a, the first type of podcast that we were going to do. Yeah, it was like, we recorded this a few months ago as um, the this first, like, this was like the, uh, what do you call it, like the mold not the mold. What do you call it? Like the, um, uh, the trial run. Trial run. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your first baby. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to explain what the concept is? So the concept is um, we read half of a book Yeah. and review it for you. And then from there, you decide whether or not we finish it. Yeah, so we, we read uh, half, exactly half of an audiobook. Yes, we read exactly one half of an audiobook. Yeah, and then uh, we do like a, we record like a, an episode where we review that half, right? That half of the book. Yeah, yeah, and then the people can decide if they want to continue learning about whatever the fuck it is. Right? Yeah, like through us. Whether do they want to go back go back and read the whole book themselves? Yeah. Or would they rather us listen to the rest of the half the other half? Right, exactly. And then let them know about it. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be like later, I guess, down the line. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see yeah. how it goes. So this is the concept. Uh half ass book club yeah, is what a, we're calling it. It's a half ass book club, everybody. Half ass book club, everybody. Uh yeah, so we decided to uh this episode was pretty long. Uh so we decided to break it up into two episodes. Yeah, so this first part's gonna be one quarter of your half ass book club. Uh yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget how math works sometimes. Unfortunately um, I never do. You know who was good at math though? Who? Mike Lindell. Hell yeah, he was. And he's the uh, subject of our first episode of the half ass Book Club. So uh, I guess we should say, uh, we shouldn't say without further ado. I think we say that a lot in this first episode. What is that even, what is a do? Uh, I think it's some like. Did we already do this bit? Mm, I don't remember. It's been so long. It, it, is it like Cajun? A do is like a. How do you do? It's like a type of stew. Oh, that's right? probably how do you do came about. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How do you do? A do? Bid you a do. Yeah, it probably has something to do with each other. How you doing? All right. Whatever. Go. Listen. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, this is the first half uh, of the Half-Ass Book Club with uh, the What Are the Odds Mike Lindell story, his autobiography. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. We sure did. Uh, yeah. True. If I remember correctly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to stop stalling. And here it is. The first half of the first episode of a half-ass book club. Enjoy. Peace. Actual Comedy presents a half-ass book club. Bubble, 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 bubble
Podcast Book Club, and you're listening to What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO by Michael J. Lindell. So, Aaron, what did you think about this book, uh, and are you excited to review it today? I'm very excited to review it. Um, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I found it to be um, both shocking and might I even say heartwarming in the half that we listened to. I agree. I agree. There was a lot of information, uh, and I'm excited to put it out there for everyone to listen to. So, without further ado, here it is. Yeah, I thought we already said without further ado, which is something. Did we say that? Did we say it? It'd be funny if it's just multiple without further ado. Without further ado. We should have named that our company, Without Further Ado. The first ado. No more ados after this. We're out of, <laughs> fresh out of a deuce. <laughs> I do love it though. interesting story very interesting very interesting and full of crack (laughs) yeah he does a lot of crack in this story so much crack he does and um we're gonna tell you about it so so uh yeah so it starts off with uh the prologue the prologue the prologue is maybe the most interesting part of the first half but I don't know. What do you think, Angel? I don't think it was the most interesting part. Uh, it is done by uh, uh, one Dr. Ben Carson. Oh, he wrote the po- prologue. He wrote the... Oh, no, 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 no. Not the prologue. The foreword. He the did the foreword. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. So Ben Carson does the foreword. Okay. Yeah. That guy, that that was pretty, pretty crazy. What did you think about that? I don't really remember what he talked about. I don't remember what he talked about when we were listening to it because... He, he said something um, about, like, helping him, like, introduce him to Trump or something like that. Was that the conduit that got Mike Lindell to Trump? I think so. I'm not sure. I think I just called him Trump. 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 Trump? Like, with an N. Trump. All right. Um, yeah, I think Ben Carson takes credit for... Introducing them. Introducing them, too, yeah, so... And it was the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, so, yeah, so he does the foreword. He talks about Mike Lindell a little bit, and then we get to the prologue. Yeah, the prologue talks about um, him as a child, basically. Well, no, he starts off with the story about going to Mexico. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember uh, he talks about... Uh, <laughs> the Mexican drug dealers. Oh shit! That was the forward. That the prologue. was that was the prologue. Yeah. Oh. This, this part is the wasn't part... written by uh, Dr. Ben Carson. This was all Mike. Oh, Lindell. this is when he meets the Greek. He meets the Greek. Yeah. He, he, he meets says, the Greek in the prologue. It's a Mexican guy named the Greek. And he. Okay, so it starts off. I remember now. You're jogging my memory. So part of the have acidness of this book club is that I've lost my notes. Yeah. So I'm reading off of Angel's notes and um, I take pretty good just notes. Just reminding the way. you take amazing notes. I was making fun of you for writing down as much as you were. Yeah. And I was writing so we you know, 
have listened to this over a series of days because yeah. it's taken some time. Mm. And I've written notes in about 17 different notebooks <laughs> and I can't find a single one of them. Um, but thankfully, I have Angel's notes here, which That's are now right. reminding me about the prologue. So let's talk about the Greek. Let's talk about the Greek. What did the Greek do? The Greek was the um, Mexican drug lord that he was supposed to meet when they touched ground in Cancun. He was on like a swingers retreat with his wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. He went. Was that a swingers retreat? I mean, he didn't specifically say that, but like I I just gathered that from the information. He was down with one of his friends, right? Is, and and was their that wife. Skelly? Was it Skelly that he was down with? Yeah. It was him and, him and Skelly and their wives. He goes through a period where he talks a lot about uh, a lot of his friends and he like specifically names a bunch of them but by their nicknames yeah yeah we'll get to that <laughs> we'll get to that later we'll get to that we're in the prologue right now still yeah so um he really loves coke that's one of the notes coke so much yeah um they get down to mexico they get to mexico yeah, and then he was he ran out of coke Oh, yeah. Okay, so he ran out. Well, he didn't run out of Coke. He ran almost out of Coke. He called it a teenth. He had a teenth, and he forgot where he put it. Is that what it was called, a teenth? Something like that, yeah. He had a funny name for, like, the the little bags of Coke. Is it called a teenth? I think he called it a teenth. No, a teener. A tweener? A teener. Okay. That's going to get important later. Yeah. But anyway, so... Keep that in mind, everybody. Keep in mind teener. Teener. So anyway, he goes to Mexico, almost runs out of Coke, leaves his hotel at three in the morning to go on a search for more Coke. Yeah. So when he gets there, he's talks to a guy, right, that he's known from his previous experiences in Mexico, right? Yes. Yes. That, that's who the Greek. That's guy the Greek. Is, right. Yes. But then, and the reason why the Greek was so endeared to him yeah. was because the last time he was in Mexico, he got him out of like a jam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So he runs out of coke because the Greek didn't give him as not as much as he said as much as he, he would, thought he would. Yeah. Because as I see here, drug dealers aren't known for keeping their prior promises. Yeah, that was a good quote that we yeah. wrote down. Uh, so he goes and tries to find it from some random guy, right? Yes. So he finds this random guy in another bar, and the other guy in the other bar ends up being, like, the enemy of the Greek. So he yeah. was trying to make sure he doesn't get caught. Call him clean cut. Yeah, clean cut. Yeah, and then uh, he gave he gave nicknames for everybody that he sees. Every Is that, like, person? to protect their privacy? Probably. Or because, like... That's how he, like, the episode from The Office. Where everybody has a nickname? Yeah. I think it's more of, like, that. Katie Lane? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know, like, any of my dad's friends from his job by their real names. I only knew them by the nicknames he gave them. Yeah. When he, they came to his funeral. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know them until they said their last names and then could hear a variation of what nickname he gave them. Was there Schmitty? There, 100% was a or Schmitty. Skelly? Schmitty was the first one that I actually recognized. <laughs> I was like, Schmitty! <laughs> Shout out to Schmitty if you ever hear this. Shout out Schmitty. So anyway, he goes and uh, he tries to find uh, coke from these like random drug dealers in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about how like after a while like everybody gets like super paranoid. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys takes a machete and holds it up to his neck at one point. Yes, 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 yes. You talk more about that. And then he does a thing where he's like, uh, I had to show them, like, 
how crazy I was. So I grabbed the machete and I said, what are you doing? I'm not trying to buy this sword. <laughs> I'm here to buy cocaine. I don't want to buy this sword. <laughs> and he like just grabbed the sword by the blade. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that the ghostwriter took liberties there? I don't know because uh, he's the one that read it back, right? In the audiobook, so. Yeah, know. that's true. If that's it was true. something that he didn't agree with, I'm sure he would have like taken it out himself. But I mean, it sounds awesome either way. Yeah, so. it does sound pretty awesome. Like based on, here's what I wanted to ask you: Would you want to hang out with Mike Lindell based on this book? Okay, now this book covers several periods of his life, and to answer your question, yes, with an asterisk next to it. And okay. My reasoning for that is. I would want to hang out with Mike Lindell when he was a crackhead, but when he had money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's when he was cool. Yeah, like, I want to hang out with Schmitty's Mike Lindell. Yeah, okay, so we'll get to that. Uh, he owned a bar. Yeah, he owned a bar. That, uh, that's, that's more, like, further down the line. But this is just a prologue. Uh, prologue. So he, he talks about that story about, like... Uh, trying to get coke from the those local drug dealers down in Mexico. So, yeah, he was getting antsy waiting for the, not the Greek, but the other guy to come with the coke. Yeah. And I think what happened was the bartender asked him for a cigarette, and when he pulled the cigarette out of the package, his last teener fell out. Yeah. And, and he was like, holy shit, if this guy sees that I already have coke here, who in their right mind would be here at 4 a.m. when they already have, like, a few hours worth of coke left? Yeah. But Mike Lindell was such a coke head that he needed to have, like, like a couple days supply on him at all times yeah. to, like, feel okay, I think. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it says here that his issues with his drug supply led to great business sense, and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. It does, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can, like, budget it into your, like day-to-day -day living, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, one of the quotes down here says, buying drugs in Mexico was usually pretty casual, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hear that there's vending machines just for, like, whatever you want, so... I don't know if there's vending machines for cocaine. No, but you can get, like, Adderall. Same thing. From a vending machine? Yeah, you can get anything out of a vending machine, as long as a pharmacy makes it. If it's, like, just grown in Mother Nature and ground by the indigenous population, that's illegal. Mm, all right. Well, the more you know. I know, right? So, right. that well, was the prologue. That's the prologue. He talks, yeah, he talks more about, like, just mostly about that story and about how he was a card counter in Vegas. He goes more in detail about that later, but... Yeah, it just kind of, like, gives you, like, a, a spoiler of, like, the, what the rest of the story is going to be like based on what we've read. Yeah. So, uh, with that, the prologue's over. Uh, we get to chapter one, which is uh, Schmitty's uh, Summer 1993. 1993. So, that's when it started. Yeah, so... Uh, well, no, no, that's not when it started, but that's when the book started. Yeah, that's the first official chapter of the book. So, in that book, he talks about um, how he owned the bar, Schmitty's. He bought the bar, Schmitty's. Was that later, so he was working there first? Uh, I don't remember. He bought, okay, right here. He bought the bar in 1990. Okay, so okay. So, this, the, the chapter starts with him talking about... I remember now. God. He was drink. he was uh, singing those sad Elvis songs. Oh, you know what I read that as? Sad elves singing, and I was yeah. like, I don't remember elves. Yeah. 
Well, he, so he bought the, he. It was in Minnesota, right? That's where he's. That's what from. the story was. Yeah. So he wasn't from there, right? And he bought like a local bar. Yeah. And all the locals were like wary of him being in their town. Right. Well, and then he gets into like his uh, childhood a little bit. He talks about how he comes from a good German stock. Oh yeah. In the Midwest. <laughs> uh, and I wrote down here, uh, lots of possible incest in the area. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he describes a bunch of stories about how like, like a bunch of cousins might have been hooking up with each other to keep that good German stock going. Um, he talks about buying the bar in the 1990s. Uh, he talks about uh, one of his favorite things about owning the bar was getting to choose the music in the jukebox. Yes, yes. It was and his favorite. Go ahead. What was his favorites? Well, Bob Seger, yeah. um, but mostly Elvis, right? Like, I feel like he had mostly Elvis. Yeah, and then he gave, like, uh, 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 an example of, like, three things in a row, and it was because comedy comes in threes. Oh. It was uh, Bob Seger, The Eagles, and Prince. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. To display his vast... Um, affection for all of the arts yeah and then he uh he has a story about um he kind of bragged that he had like the created an atmosphere where these bikers could come in and sing along to david cassidy songs instead of being like you know hardcore bikers they were singing like david cassidy songs oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he really like wanted to create that I atmosphere of like you. like the happy violence yeah you know and he like, started singing that i think I oh he did he yeah. did he sang it out loud on so he actually reads this book yeah in the audiobook that we uh read yeah when we read the audiobook yeah. um he read it to us and um he sang in yeah. it as well yeah yeah and then again he, he he brags about the culture that he created uh and one of the quotes was i was selling alcohol but I wasn't selling alcohol, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he was selling a good time. Yeah, exactly. Does he get into all the crazy things that they do in Chapter 1? Uh, uh, no. He, uh, he ends Chapter 1 uh, by saying that beginning in childhood, he never felt uh, like he belonged in life. Uh, and that was the end of Chapter 1. So he starts it off by saying that he created this bar... He tries to create an atmosphere where he feels like he belongs. Okay. And then he ends it with saying, like, he's never felt like he's belonged in the world. Okay. That's the end of chapter one. So Schmidt's was, like, his Neverland. Right, exactly. His, okay. his Neverland ranch. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Full of cocaine. <laughs> chapter two. So then uh, we get into chapter two, which is uh, Crazy Things, 1968. So I guess this is when he was born. Was it when he was born, or is that when, um... Well, he talks about his love for sugary cereals. Remember, he was, like, talking about how much he loved, like, Fruit Loops and... Oh, yeah, he gave a whole list of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, his mom was born in 1941, he says. Okay. And then, uh, his dad was an insurance salesman. Uh, and I think they were... What does it say here? He was seven years old. It, when he was seven years old, his mom took him and his two sisters. Uh, oh, and they moved Lindsay to a trailer park. Robert, Robert, <laughs> Robin, um, and they moved from, I guess, a nice house that they lived in with the dad 
into a trailer park apart from the dad, but he never gave really an explanation on why they left. Yeah, um, but they did move into in a the trailer half park. that we read. They did move into a trailer park that was he he described it as across from a pickle factory. Oh shit! One of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the type. The trailer parks right across from the f- town picker pickle factory. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he gets into a story where I feel like we first get our insights into the autistic mind of Mike Lindell. Uh, he talks about how he coped by counting his toy cars when he was a kid because that was the only thing that he owned that he brought from his old house to the oh. trailer park was his toy cars. Okay. So he would count them all the time. Counting cars. Do you think that's where they got that from? <laughs> Snow Patrol has an end with Mike Lindell. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of feel like a Snow Patrol pillow would be nice. Yeah. It's like Definitely more comfortable than a my pillow. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, he compared himself to that movie, The Sandlot. He was Scotty in The Sandlot. I don't remember The Sandlot. I remember. I remember just the big dog. Yeah. Not the specific characters. That was Scotty, the one who took his dad's baseball. Mm-hmm. Or is he? Is he the one that doesn't have a dad? And like he was like the. You know. You know what? Based on the context clues, I'm going to say it's that one. The one with no dad. B. Yeah. yeah. The one with no dad is the one he was trying to be. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, he compared himself to Sandlot. Uh, he got bullied. He said, this is the first time he talks about being bullied uh, in his school. Oh, yeah. And then he just started doing tricks for everyone so they'd stop bullying him. Yeah, the way he started coping was by... Uh, doing like risky things like jackass he was doing jackass yeah he was just doing jackass exactly (laughs) with uh, no with no video camera yeah exactly uh and the one story he talks about is how he like jumped out of a school bus to try to like impress all the kids there or something oh yeah 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 but they like didn't make much of it no uh he also uh talks about how he tried to make his sister into like a sideshow act do you remember that? I kind of vaguely do now. What did what did she what did he do with her? Uh, didn't he say that he he used to like jump on her stomach or something like that or what was that? I didn't write it down. God damn it. <laughs> so we read listens to this book like about a few months ago. So we're just working off notes right now. So yeah. well, he, this he, is all new to us as it is to you. Yeah, exactly. So he did something weird with his sister. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think he said he, like, would punch her in the stomach or, like, jump on her stomach or something. <laughs> or did he just, like, draw a beard on her? Make mm. her the bearded lady? No, he did something with her stomach. I remember... Oh, got her pregnant? No, he didn't get her pregnant. I don't remember this. Uh, I don't God remember. damn, we're going to have to go back and listen. Maybe in um, one of the updates, we'll let you know what that was. He called her a pint-sized human shish kebab? <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe did he do, like, a magic trick where he pretended to cut her in half or something? I don't remember. It was something like that. Or, like, did, did he tell her to drink something? It was like, like... Or did she throw up a goldfish or something? Something crazy like that, yeah. You're right. It was when he was trying to be, like, a, mad, a magician. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he talks about how the bus driver snitched on him for, like, uh, jumping out of the bus. Oh, yeah, and then he went to the principal, got him in trouble, right? Yeah. What did the principal do to him? I don't think he did anything. He told him he liked him, but he was, like, accusing him of doing too many crazy things. He was like, you know what, Mike? I like your style, but you didn't (laughs) stick the landing. (laughs) 
Uh, and then that's pretty much the end of chapter two, right? Yep, that's it. Yeah. So let's get to chapter three. What happened in chapter three? So uh, chapter three, uh, why don't you read the uh, title of chapter three here? <clears throat> this one was my favorite. Yeah. Chapter three, lots and lots of cocaine, 1993. <laughs> All right. So uh, we get to chapter three. Uh, he starts uh, talking about uh, Schmitty's again. Oh, yeah. This uh, is when the Schmitty stories yeah. start to flow. And he talks about uh, changing the lights or something like that. Do you remember what he was talking about? Um. Oh, yeah. He said Schmitty's needed, like, a um, like a demo job done. So he just had the, the patrons, like, start, like, tearing the ceiling tiles down. Yeah, and, like, and they were the a bunch of... Uh, they were the a bunch of people that were the product of uh, Midwestern good German stock incest. Oh, yeah, so. just a bunch of angry Germans in there ripping down <laughs> yeah, the interiors. They just wanted to rip down interiors? He basically got people drunk and, like, had free demolition done Skeeter? inside the bar. Skeeter was there. Kamala? Um... Is this the one where they talk about the 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 little prank they played, or is this come like does that come later? I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the prank because he talks about how there's an episode of America's Most Wanted that gets filmed in his bar. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. his the the prank that he pr- that he pulls on the production crew of America's Most Wanted is I think he steals their pizza. Yeah. And he gives it to his, like, To the bar patrons. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, ah, we got you. And then he bought them a new pizza. Sick prank, bro. He got him. He got him. He really did get them with that. (laughs) I want to know how, like, how they got an America's Most Wanted episode, like, filmed there. He didn't go into that. No. So far. Yeah, we don't know what. Actually, he does admit to doing some crimes later in the book. I wonder if they were filming one of the recreations to one of the crimes that he did. <laughs> he has he no idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we're going to steal their pizza. They're like, we got the real guy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, that's pretty much it. He, he oh, he talks a, about setting up softball leagues, a yeah. pool league, and a dart league at, at Schmitty. Yeah, in order to like make money. Um, and this is when he first mentions that he starts doing cocaine. Yeah, this is the start of it. Yeah, um, and there's nothing, like, remarkable about it or anything. It's just... No, it's just the name is actually more um, deceiving than anything. Yeah. The the cocaine use is in the later chapters. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's chapter three. Let's get on to chapter four. What was chapter four about? Uh, so chapter four is uh, Peppermint Schnapps, 1972 to 1979. So, again, uh, we uh, kind of switched back. To oh, yeah, this is when we get back in time. Get back in time to his childhood. Uh, he talks more about his love for Elvis and how uh, he was like a spiritual influence to him. Oh, because Elvis sang gospel music. Yeah, so that was his, like, uh, <laughs> sorry. We have uh, uh, on the background, we have uh, just a YouTube playlist of different Mike Lindell interviews. Uh, so every now and then we might sound like we're laughing, but just because he's on the screen talking about something crazy. Uh, anyway, uh, he talks about his love for Elvis uh, and his gospel music. Yeah. And I guess that helped him in like hard times of his life. Yeah. Um, he does a spoken word reinterpretation of an Elvis song. Oh, yeah. Which one was that? Was oh. that I Can't Help Falling in Love with You? No, it was like a 
go tell it on a mountain type shit. Yeah, like his, um, the way he got his hooks in the Christian population is not clear yet. Uh, in but the it's book. genius, though. It's genius when, because when it's just. When we figure it out, it's gonna be great. We're yeah. Like, I'm watching him now on TV, just he's got his cross placed, like, he knows explicitly what he's on the collar. Yeah. <laughs> um,. So anyway, to talk about the peppermint schnapps. Um, yeah, so he talks about uh, his stepdad, uh, I guess the guy that his mom got with after mm. she got separated from his dad. That was yeah, Fred. Fred. Um, he starts to ask questions uh, about religion uh, in space that he's not sure he's gotten answers for yet. Do you remember okay. that? Where he's like asking, like, like, how far is space really? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He was just, like, He's questioning like, just like the fabric of reality, kind of. But questions you ask yourself when you're, like, you know, 10, 11 years old. You know what I mean? Well, that's probably what he was around then, right? Or was he asking these questions, like, from a this-day perspective? I think he was saying it from the perspective at the time, but I think he hasn't gotten the answers to any of those yet, which Oh, is gotcha, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> He's got so many other answers, though. I'm shocked. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting. He talks about uh, his love for math. That was, like, his favorite subject. Yeah. Uh, and game theory. What, what was game theory? Is that, like, about, like, gaming the system or something like that? I thought game theory was the theory that, like, we're in a video game. I think it's simulation theory. Game theory is about, like, the most dangerous game or something. Humans. Oh, we're going to have to look that up because I don't know what game theory is, actually. Yeah. Um, but he talks about his uh, school life, uh, and he actually brings up some good arguments about school, like, about the way things are taught. Like, yeah, why, 100%. Why, why teach people certain things if they're not really, like, interested in it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's been my argument all the time. Yeah. Which has led me lit most of my life to only read half of books, you yeah. know? <laughs> I get the gist. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, he brings up some good arguments about uh, why he didn't, like, do too well in the school system. Uh, and because of that, uh, he brings up that he was an alcoholic in, house, in high school. Oh, yeah, he would just get messed up on peppermint schnapps, do really good in math, and I guess just kind of, like, skate by the rest of the time. Yeah. Jumping out of bus windows and such. <laughs> he, he mentions that he, uh, he likes to, he used to have marathon games of Monopoly that were, like, 20 hours straight. Do you Have you ever done that? What was the longest game of Monopoly you've ever played? Uh, maybe, like, two hours. Really? Yeah, I get bored of it quickly. I'm like, this yeah. is stupid. There's not that part of you though that like no like wants I to don't see it through. No, <laughs> never. I've never <laughs> even gotten to the part where you get houses on the board. What do you think is like the longest board game you've played? Probably that game Monopoly. of Monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could play other games longer. I've never played like Risk or anything like I've that. I've never played that either. Is the game of life long? I hope so. <laughs> I never played the game of life <laughs> on a board. Um, so he talks about how he loved the Monopoly. He played so much Monopoly. Uh, and then he talks about that was the start of his gambling problem. And, uh, <laughs> he as, was just tucking the $500 bills in his pockets yeah. as a child. Free parking. <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is like the start of... He's uh, the one that came up with the if you, got, if you pass, you have to go to jail. 
Like if you if you do something, you have to go to jail. Maybe you think he was using that as like uh, the thing, like the notes that he was bringing to Trump whenever yeah. he had those meetings. Like, yeah, he was just taking notes about Monopoly. You know. This is what I think about Baltic Avenue. If these people land over here, they're gonna owe us at least two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious if he just went in the White House with just like the Monopoly uh, rule book, just and the that's rule book. it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was like enthralled with whatever was in his hands. <laughs> He's like, "There's only four railroads." <laughs> um, but yeah, they don't he, talk about the underground. Yeah, oh, no. So he talks about his uh, love of gambling. And as, as we'll see, uh, we only did half the book. He talks a lot about gambling throughout most of the chapters in this book. Almost every chapter he gambled on. Yeah. What would you think was his bigger vice? The crack, cocaine? We'll, we'll put crack and coke in one. Or crack? gambling or being cool by jumping out of buses what was his bigger addiction I feel like the cool was his bigger addiction it had to be but like you know that's not sustainable right like after you're a kid your bones aren't as like pliable you can get a bar though and play fucking Bob Seger and David Cassidy that's music. true that's true steal pizza from no because he still needed coke and, and crack to, to like be in that that you know what I mean? It's like a chicken and an egg thing. Exactly. Exactly. I think he needed the crack to enhance all of the other experiences. Gotcha. But like he did go a good amount of time, as we'll talk about later, without really gambling. Yeah. Right? I mean, he was like the bookie for stuff, wasn't he? Uh I don't know. I think he did something in his bar. He had some sort of like gambling card. It was like the local, I don't know. Yeah. But we'll get into that later. Um, so, yeah, he this is just the start of his uh, admittance of his gambling addic- addiction. Uh, and it probably comes from his love of counting cars. <laughs> 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 counting cards. Um, yeah. He talks about how he daydreamed about having grandkids, which is a weird daydream to have as a child. Yeah, right. I don't, think I, I don't think I ever met a kid that was like, man, I can't wait to have grandkids in the future. <laughs> Yeah, I never, that would never really cross my mind. You know what, though? If I ever met a kid that said that, it would make sense that he would grow up to be a guy that created pillows for people. Yeah. (laughs) What, to get rid of the ones you don't like? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Um, He talks about his first girlfriend, uh, Donna. Oh, yeah. Do you remember anything that he said about her? No. Uh, Judge my memory. Um, I don't think he really talked about her too much this chapter, but he just talked about how he, that was like his first girlfriend. I think he was like working at a, was it like a movie theater or something? And she worked there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And then they started dating from there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. then he goes into a story about his first near death experience, which is important because this goes into the title of the book. What are the odds? What are the odds? That's right. Uh, his first near-death experience of when he crashed his car. Oh, yeah. He said he remembered himself, like, above the cops, right? Well, he, it wasn't his Mustang, he said, because, of course, he drove a Mustang as his car in high school. Uh, but that wasn't the car that gave him his uh, near-death experience. It was his stepdad's pickup truck. Oh, yeah. He, he said he, it. like, landed in the middle of a field somewhere and, like, the... 
the farmer in the house found them. Yeah, and then he, he said, <laughs> wait, hold on. He, what did he say? He said he was, uh, he thought he was, like, telling people to, like, call his stepdad or something. But they said in reality, he was just, like, on the ground, like, saying his own name over and over again. <laughs> So this is like high school age, yeah. right? Um, yeah, just, and then it, just to keep you guys on track. That's right. And then he talks about uh, more of his near-death experiences. Uh, he talks about how he almost drowned. Uh, he was struck by lightning. Uh, he survived a skydiving accident. Uh, the day he had the skydiving accident, he was in a motorcycle accident on the way to go skydiving. <laughs> Wait, so he got into the motorcycle accident on the way to go skydiving and still went skydiving? Yeah, yeah, and man, almost died skydiving too. That man loves to take risks. What are the odds? I'm telling you, so is it about being cool? Because he's a cool guy. If he's fucking skydiving, driving a motorcycle... I mean... Getting struck by lightning? You know who else has gotten struck by lightning Who's three that? times? Martha Stewart. Oh, man. She's been struck three times. She said it gave her superpowers. Has so, she created any pillows? She's created a million pillows. Are you kidding me? That's how she started out. I don't think I remember a Martha Stewart pillow. Um, Like, Kmart had all Martha Stewart, like, home wear. Kmart? Yeah. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah. She definitely had pillows. <laughs> she had a whole houseware section. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe we should do like a, a a pillow contest. Martha Stewart versus my pillow. I like was gonna buy a my pillow at this um like what are the, what would you call it an outlet store? Yeah. One where you know all the like the misfit toys go to die. Yeah. And um. It really felt like one of those pillows that were, like, at your grandmom's house and left on the bed for, like, 25 years because nobody slept in that room. <laughs> That's what that pillow felt like. And I was like, yeah. how is everybody so in love with this? I wanted to like it. Like, for Mike's sake, I wanted him to have, like, a really great product. That being said, I didn't sleep on it. So who yeah. knows? But just that, like, memory it triggered didn't make me want to sleep on it. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, now we're hitting, heading to chapter five yeah so that was the end of chapter four uh that was it he was just talking about his near-death experiences and stuff like that yeah nothing major nothing too major uh chapter five uh cigarette and aquanet smoke or cigarette and aquanet 1980 to 1985 yeah does, uh, every, does every chapter rhyme i don't think so oh okay i, I just noticed it there yeah um so, in this one, he talks a bit more about, like, his teenage years. Yeah, and his grandfather was, or grandpa. Yeah. He was a card dealer. Yeah. So, I guess that, like, at a casino, he was the uh, the guy that does the dealing? Yeah. Is that what a card dealer is? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, both of his grandparents uh, from both sides were farmers from did, the Midwest. Did they say what they farm? No, he didn't. But didn't, I think later when he talks about trying to find a machine to do something with the cotton from the pillow oh he yeah he talks about they more went... about his like growing up on the farm and like knowing how those machines work and all that all that jazz oh yeah that actually part got interesting i'm yeah. excited to talk about that part but in chapter five um 
we find out that both sets of his grandparents were farmers, like you said. Yeah. I'd like, we gotta look up and see what they farmed. Um, he talks about how the sound of trains was peaceful to him. Another uh, autistic thing. I know. It's like, this guy just went, however old he is, 70 years at least, without being diagnosed on the spectrum or with the ADHD. Yeah. I mean, it's like, but, I mean, he had a cool life out of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it sounds like his grandparents were pretty cool. Uh, his grandpa loved uh, gambling and hated cheaters. Cheaters as in, like, like people that, like, cheated at gambling? I think so, yeah. But, like... Because he was a card... card a card A shark. card dealer? Yeah. But then Mike Lindell became a card counter. Yeah. So that's, like, a cheater, right? He used the powers for evil. Oh, no. He, le- he taught him the gift, and he used it against him. <laughs> um, was he living with his grandparents when he st- like was having too many parties and he got kicked out? I think he was, right? Yeah, 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 in 1980. That's yeah. He got kicked out of there. He got kicked out of his uh, grandparents' house. And then uh, that's when he decided to take a road trip with his Uncle Butch. Um Okay, now I'm, my memory is being jogged. So that's when him and Butch decided they could go out and become, like, card counters by trade. Well, I think him and his brother did that, right? Was that his brother? Maybe. What did Uncle Butch do? Did he show him how to, like, do He all was, stuff? like, the alcoholic that taught him how to count cards, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. And then they got in trouble for almost stealing gas. Or they stole gas, and they almost got arrested for it. He talks about how... They got to the gas station after they had closed. So then he uh, took gas from, like, one of the cars in the parking lot, but, like, left money in the windshield with, like, a note that said, we needed gas or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they say, yeah. like, a cop comes up, and the cop's like, what are you doing, stealing gas? And he's like, no, look, I left a note. And then the, the cop lets him the go. The cop was like, oh, these kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mike Lindell, like, literally got away with so much shit that most people would still be in jail to this day for it. Oh, yeah. It's, definitely. Um, yeah. And then he goes into uh, how this is the first time he goes into, like, a casino, like, professionally, right? Like, his first, like, oh, man, this is... I love this. A casino? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time. And he said he fell in love the first time he went in. Yeah. Uh, and then he, like, tells that story about how he steals his friend's money to go gamble. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he thought he was going to make, like, double the amount that he got back or something like that. He ends up losing it all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, spoiler alert, pretty much every story ends like that that he tells. But he does... Uh, he does win every now and then. He wins he, a lot. He talks. He tells that one story about how he won a craps game with all sixes. This is kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's the mark of the beast, Mike. <laughs> um, he talks about uh, how his gambling addiction was. Uh, it lasted 34 years. That's kind of crazy. Is he cured now? I don't know. He's older than 34, exactly. right? When did it start, you think? Yeah, like, is he talking about from, like, birth to 34, or is he talking about, like... Maybe from this point in the book to, like, what he was, like, when he quit. Oh, yeah. Maybe? I don't know. I mean, he's still gambling on a lot of shit. I feel like he's just (laughs) not admitting it. (laughs) Um, So then he tells a story about how uh, in the fall of 1981, he was $12,000 in the hole when he was 20 years old. Yeah. There you go. And he was scared of the... uh, 
mafia types or Italians. Oh, yeah, yeah. The That's, Italians. Yeah, he kept talking about how the mafia types are coming to get him and break his legs. Yeah, how many friggin' mafia types are in Minnesota? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I saw Fargo. I mean, my family mostly landed in, uh, like, New York and Pennsylvania, so I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I keep going, right? Yeah, right. Everything's right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was scared of those uh, people. So he was trying to get a bank loan to pay off uh, one of his bookies. Uh, and then he tells that story about how, like, the guy at the bank office was, like, some guy he grew up with or something Oh, like and that. he got the loan, Yeah, he right? got the loan because the guy was like, oh, I, I know this guy. He'll pay it back. Everything's fine. Um, so he gets the money. He pays it off, right? And yeah. And then... Two years later, he's $25,000 in debt. Nice. <laughs> uh, and then he tells a story about how he's continuing to gamble, right, and, and drive drunk. Uh, he talks about how, like, if, you, if you're driving drunk, if you close one eye, you'll drive better that way. Yeah. That was pretty funny. He was giving out tips on how to drunk drive better. Yeah. Um, and then he thought that if he was arrested, he would, uh, it, that would make his bookies go away because they'd be like, oh, he's, he's, he's part of the government now. He's their problem. We can't get our money back. You think that would have worked? Uh, no, I'm sure they probably would have just like sent somebody in there to go, uh, break his kneecaps. <laughs> they always got a guy. Yeah. But then uh, he goes on to say uh, that he'd rather be considered a gambler and a mischief maker than a criminal. So that goes back to the being, wanting to be really cool. You know yeah, I mean? he just wants to be like... Cause a, like, mischief. He wanted to be jackass. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be CKY. Yeah. <laughs> he just grew up in the wrong time. Um, so yeah, so then uh, he has all this debt. He goes back to the loan officer to try to get another loan to pay off this debt and the guy says no right yeah and he said no based on his moral character yeah cause at that point he was making a lot of mischief he was doing so much mischief that the <laughs> loan officer at the bank said no 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 Mike we cannot morally give you this money um and then he talks about how he spent a lot of time with his social worker um not anything too interesting there nothing weird yeah um and then they, they goes into the court case, uh, and they, they sentence him to five years probation. That was just for the Dewey? Yeah. Okay. For the for the Wait, does he get caught driving drunk? Oh, yeah, that was his thing, right? He's like, if I get caught driving drunk, my bookies can't get me. Yeah. But it didn't work out that way. No, anyway. it didn't work out like that. Uh, but something somehow, what are the odds, right? Yeah, what are the odds? It ends up working out for him because his bookie goes to jail. Damn, and he never had to pay him back. <laughs> he never had to pay him back because the boogie goes to jail, so he's fine. He what didn't have to go odds? to jail at all. What are the odds? Uh, and with that, that's the end of Chapter 5. All right. Now, let's talk about Chapter 6. Yeah, Chapter 6, uh, Dream Girl, 1984 to 1985. And uh, during this time, Mike was living on a friend's couch with three other guys. Are all three of them on the couch together? I don't think... They might have had three separate couches. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All of them loved cocaine. They all loved cocaine. He wouldn't be friends with them if they didn't love cocaine. Obviously. <laughs> um, but he said he didn't like drugs at first, right? 
Did he say that? I feel like he liked them immediately. Uh, First time he did coke, he took a rock and placed it in his mouth. Oh, yeah. Remember the guy gave him, like, a rock? And he was like, uh, what do I do with this? And he was like, just put it in your mouth. I don't remember his response to that. Maybe he didn't like the teeth. Maybe they were trying to do, like, the make your gum numb thing. But they do that with a whole rock? That seems nonsensical. Well, he didn't know what to do with the rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, nobody's ever let me try this before. Uh, speaking of that, this is also when he met Karen, uh, his current wife right yeah I think Karen's the one he's stayed with yeah she was a ride or die yeah they were doing coke together back in the friggin early 90s <laughs> and they're still killing it today that's right making pillows making pillows uh, he met her at 24 uh, and up until that point he only had the one girlfriend uh, Donna that was Donna okay yeah um, and he kept telling people he was like going around telling people that he was gonna marry Karen like, after he met her. I don't think the, they started dating yet. Like, yeah, he's no. like, I'm going to marry that girl. What are the odds? Uh, she was working... Was she working at Schmitty's? Um... I think she no. was working at one of the bars that he worked at. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's how they met. Yeah. Um... His, uh, idea of a fancy place was a, a grand piano, uh, white tablecloths, and two forks. <laughs> I just see this that says, um, she turned him down for a fourth date, so he did more coke about it. Yeah, yeah, he got really upset one time when she said no, uh, she didn't want to go out on a fourth date with him, so he did more coke. Uh, apparently, also, he gives us a little-known fact, Karen's allergic to birds. Oh my gosh. So that's cool. Uh. No birds for the Lindell household. Yeah, they, you can't have them there. Um, why did she turn him down for that fourth date? Did they say? No. She had a kid already, right? Yeah, she did have one kid, I think. And I, she was, was she trying to get back with the kid's dad? Was that what it was? I honestly don't remember. I think it was something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, she turned him down. He did more coke. And then it looks like he won her back by climbing five stories, um... To, at the drive-in movie theater and mooned the audience. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He, that's not how he got her back. He did more coke and got drunk and went to that drive-in movie theater. Because uh, remember, he was embarrassed at his five-year high school reunion? Oh, Because like, oh, he was like, okay, everybody's okay. going to be like a lawyer or like a doctor or whatever. And he was like, I got nothing to show for it except that I work at a bar. Yeah. So then he, he got drunk with his friend and then they did. I think they all did coke. And then uh, he decided to moon people at the drive-in, but he did it by climbing the screen. And then was he intentionally trying to moon them? I don't think so, right? He was just trying to climb the screen and then like be like, hey, I'm up here. But he, he almost fell. And his pants just fell down? And his pants fell down, yeah. And it was Cheech and Chong that was playing. While oh. <laughs> this guy's such a rascal. I know. What are the odds? What are the odds such a rascal would would turn out to be the man we know today? <laughs> uh, but with that, that's the end of Chapter 6. Uh, and then we get into Chapter 7, uh, which is Turning Myself to Face Me. That is poetic. Yeah. Uh, he considers Vegas uh, the only place to hide from yourself. What does that mean? 
um, I think, like, he realized that he had all those, you know, gambling issues or whatever. I don't honestly know. Like, he didn't give a date for this one. No, so but, well, he does say, out. he does talk about... Uh, oh, I remember this. Well, uh, talk about his possessions. He talks about his possessions at the age of 24. So he has a fishing pole, two reels, a pocket knife, a pair of binoculars, a necklace... A credit card and a ring. Oh, and an eight ball of Coke. That's all he had at the age of 24. Okay, so this was before he was married to Karen? Yeah. So uh, he decides to go to uh, Vegas, right? And Mm -hmm. he goes to Circus Circus. That's the clown motel one? Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, and he says the word didn't weird. Oh, yeah. We learn in this chapter... That Mike Lindell pronounced the word didn't as didn't. Yeah. And he does it the whole time. Yeah. So that must just be how he says didn't. Yeah, he says didn't. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that about him. (laughs) Um, So he thought of uh, starting over by becoming a dealer in Vegas. Uh, right? He talks about he wanted to, like, that was his dream. Yeah, he was going to go to, like, like dealer, dealer school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so, but he goes to, I guess his sister lived in Vegas, so when he went there with all his limited amount of possessions, he stayed with his sister and her boyfriend, right? Yeah. And that's when he stole the money from them. No, I think he, no, they lived in Minnesota. He lived with them, stole, he said, what was it, a change jar from the sister's boyfriend? Okay, yeah, yeah. And then went to Vegas to try to, like, double it, and he lost it all. Lost it all. And yeah. he stole the, the, the sister's boyfriend's credit card, too, remember? Yes. And he was like, uh, I figured if they saw that I was only using it for food and gas, they wouldn't, like, cancel the card or whatever. Yo, I thought the same thing, but <laughs> they don't look at it like that. No. Uh, and then uh, he goes back, like, after, like, what, a couple weeks or a couple days? Yeah, like, he runs through all of his money and cocaine, and then when he hits, like, rock bottom again, he goes back. Yeah. And, um... He finds out that, like, all the stuff that was at his sister's house where he was staying, they, they had threw it out. Right? Oh, yeah. So he he was fishing poleless. No, no more, more fishing, fishing pole. He didn't take the fishing pole with him to Vegas. No more pairs of binoculars. They're all gone. So they put it on the side of the road. And somebody Damn. picked it up and threw it in the garbage. Um, yeah, so he was in a really bad place at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he crashes his car again, right? Yes, he Coming back his from car Vegas. again. Um, and then he got... Um, he goes he, to jail for a while because he crashed his car drunk driving, right? Okay, yeah, he went to jail for a while. And then um, that's... Then he went to rehab? That's when he decides to go to rehab, yeah. And I think that's the end of Chapter 7. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Chapter 7 was kind of a bummer, but, you know, here's Chapter 8. And uh, Chapter 8 is called... There's Still a Chance. Um, so this is this is the chapter where he's talking about uh, people at rehab yeah he and, talks about his stay at rehab and he talks about his stay there and he got really good at um, teaching people how to go through rehab right like he, yeah um, we figured out game theory he figured on, out on, game on theory rehab. is that what game rehab? theory is you know, we're going to have to Google game theory, I think, because I'm honestly not sure what that means, and well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, he started off by saying that uh, 
people don't usually complete complete these rehab programs under six months, right? Yeah, but Mike got it done in like under that, right? Yeah, it was... a couple weeks, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he said that he's been to several rehabs over the next few decades. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So then, uh, while he's in rehab, um, he gets a card. He gets a card, like an Easter card or something, from Karen. Right? Oh, okay. And it says, uh, yeah, yeah, some, yeah. some bunny is thinking of you. And that's what, like, brought him through. That's, that's what, what made him, him... Yeah, he made, that's how whole. he finished rehab. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then uh, he had the idea to start a food truck enterprise. This was, like, his first, like, foray into business, right? His first business adventure. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to do a food truck enterprise and just have a whole fleet of food trucks. Yeah. Did he talk about what type of food he wanted to use? No, he did not. No. No. Um, so he went back to dating Karen, though, right? Yeah. They dated a few months and then got married in 1987. 1987. Yeah. So then they've been married now for, what, how many years? Mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot. A lot? Yeah. A lot of years. Um, and uh, then he tells a miscarriage story. Oh yeah, Karen had a miscarriage. Well, first. she almost almost lost it, right? He's like she she was like bleeding or something, and then he got her to the hospital. She had like Braxton Hicks or some shit. Huh? Oh yeah, it was just ba- Braxton Hicks contractions. Yeah, oh, so they didn't even not. So chapter eight is really just filler people. Oh no, but then he he has another crazy story though, right? He talks about how like there was some problem with the baby's heart. And that they needed like a, a a specific like um pediatric surgeon or something like that and then he said like the people at the hospital were like he lives like an hour away it's gonna take him like at least two hours to get here and then he said once they said that the dude like walked in in his street clothes the doctor that they needed and they were like what are you doing here and he was like i don't know for some reason something told me to come back or whatever what are the odds what are the odds they saved his baby. I don't. I don't know if that was a true story. What's this part here about kissing his son on the mouth? Oh, that's yeah. He talks about how he kissed his son on the mouth. Oh. Yeah. The baby. After he was born. Oh. He was like, you know, that was his way of showing him that like he was always thankful for the doctor in the street clothes by kissing his son on the maybe the doctor <laughs> kissed him on the mouth like when he first. You're not supposed to kiss babies at all. I mean, I've never kissed a baby, so and I don't plan to, so I don't know what the rules are, but whatever. Anyway, yeah, so that's the end of Chapter 8. And then uh, we get into uh, Chapter 9, right? Chapter 9. Chapter 9, the kids are all right. This is uh, 1990 to 1998. This is when him and Karen really got, got, got going, right? Yeah. Um, and he talks about how he had to revisit his old demons in order to get his liquor license. Because he was sober, right? He went through the rehab and then oh, he wasn't doing Oh, okay. Um, he bought Smitty's uh, with the money that he got from a football bet from gambling. Nice. Yeah. Um, he talks about how his dad had three children after he got divorced from his mom. Okay. Uh, and, like, he felt, like, a little weird that his, like, family was, like, split or whatever. Yeah. Um, his dad complained about, uh, broken TV 
at the bar. Do you remember that? He talks his about dad? His, his dad complained about like the broken TV. So I think like either somebody broke the screen or something like that. And then he said he crawled through the TV to start doing karaoke. Remember? No. Yeah. I don't remember that part at all. His it was dad like a, crawled through the TV? No, his dad was angry that the TV was broken. Okay. So somehow the screen broke, and Mike Lindell crawled through the TV and did, like, karaoke on the other side. Oh. Of Schmitty's. Of Schmitty's. Yeah, in Schmitty's. Wow. That was his way of being cool. He was such a cool guy. He was a cool guy. Um, okay, so... Like, what, what What else did he really say about his dad's relationship with him? Not mm-hmm. much, right? Not too much, yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't say much about either one of his parents' relationships with him. Yeah, but he still had a relationship with them, though. Like, it wasn't, like, bad or good, I, I feel like. Or maybe it was bad, and that's why he's not saying anything about it. That's not. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, but... Um, he marketed his business a certain way so yeah he talks more about the way he created that culture at Schmitty's right and it's like uh, he had a saying uh, if you don't like Schmitty's and you don't like Suds go someplace else because remember he had the other he had three bars he had three bars yeah Yeah, he had Schmitty's Suds and the last bar the name of it was someplace else that was what it was called? Yeah. Someplace else? Yeah. So he, That's pretty funny. So he, so he would say, if you don't like Schmitty's and you don't like Suds, go someplace else. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah. That's catchy as fuck. German stock. Good German stock. <laughs> um, he talks about uh, how he took his family on a vacation, uh, and he planned to go to a couple places, but his... Uh, no matter what places he wanted to go to, his first stop was always a casino. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I guess when he went through rehab, he stopped the coke and the drinking. He didn't stop the gambling or trying to be cool, right? Yeah, never stopped that. Never stopped that. So um, the one time, I guess they went on a family vacation, he went to a casino and he lost $4,000 of their money like immediately. Oh yeah, and he was just getting by by getting them like the passes, to, like the free room passes. Yeah. And like eating at like the, the hot brunch or whatever they yeah. provide for you. Yeah. And like tricking his wife to be like, oh look, we're getting a updated uh, room in the next hotel. Yeah. And it was really just because they ran out of money and he was using like up the passes that the hotels were giving him for free for blowing all his money there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but he gave his family a nice vacation. I don't I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> um, and then he goes into admitting uh, through like a bunch of stories that he was a daily cocaine user in the 90s. Right? Um, yes. His one friend uh, had an intervention for gambling. Remember that? Like, his other friends wanted him to be the guy that, like, ran the... Oh, yeah, he did say that he had conducted multiple interventions. Like, he was so good at rehab that he was He said he knew, like, what the person should be hearing because he was also an addict. Yeah. But the other people didn't know he was an addict. Yeah. So they kept asking him to, like their fucking like <laughs> it's hilarious it's um, like asking uh, uh, I can't even think <laughs> um, 
And then he talks about uh, his different uh, experiences with holidays. Uh, and in particular, he says he hates Halloween uh, because you can't see people's faces. That's a pet peeve of his. That's a pet peeve. Oh, man, he must have hated COVID. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, weird, right? Hey, well, this book came out before COVID, right? It's probably about 2018. Maybe. Point. We should probably go back and look for that and let you know. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, for a timeline's sake. Yeah. You know. Um, but then he talks about how one Halloween, uh, he dressed as the Blues Brothers, uh, Lori Lightfoot's favorite band. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, and he did a bunch of cocaine, but the crowd hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he did all the Blues Brothers? Well, he says the crowd hated the Blues Brothers, so they decided to do the theme song from the Clint Eastwood TV show Rawhide. Which is like uh, a cowboy Yeah, that thing, yeah. What did he do to that? Like, strip to it? Well, it says uh, he had fireworks in his pocket at the end. What the? Yeah. He just had fireworks in his pocket? I feel that like you do that for, with anything for Rawhide. But, I mean, no. He did Rawhide on the fly. He had planned to do... What was the other one? Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. Yeah. So he had the fireworks for Blues Brothers, and, and then it just worked for Rawhide. Exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. The man is an artist, what are I the have odds? to say. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to say that uh, by 1998, uh, his days were filled with hunting, uh, showing off at the bar, uh, and his favorite thing to do, uh, cocaine. Uh, those were his three favorite things to do. Go hunting, show off at one of his bars, and do cocaine. That's yeah. Not a bad life for Mike Lindell. I mean, it doesn't seem like he was bothering too many people at this point. Uh, yeah. What went wrong? Well, uh, at this point, he talks about being very excited that Jesse Ventura was running for governor. Uh, he was a big fan of Jesse Ventura, a former wrestler that became governor of Minnesota. Oh, he was a wrestler. <laughs> yeah. uh, grade A conspiracy theorist. Um, yeah. So he, he talks about how he's completely apolitical, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this yeah, it's one of those things where you can see immediately through the bullshit. Um, what are the odds? <laughs> um, and then he brings up... Uh, stories about how his wife uh, would constantly accuse him of cheating on her because, uh, in his words, uh, she was insecure. Uh, so... He actually didn't do any actual physical cheating. He just was... That uh, he wrote about in the first half Well, that he wrote book. about in the, Okay. <laughs> let, me, let me dial it back for a second. He didn't tell us about any physical cheating he'd done. It mostly looked like he spent his time just doing cocaine and gambling. Really. Yeah. And doing what is it mischief and mischief making general mischief general hood rat things with his friends <laughs> um yeah and that was the end of chapter nine chapter nine so we get into chapter 10 now uh toad's road toad's road yeah so what was toad's road um oh okay yeah so he tells a story about how the friend that dared him to jump off that bus when he was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, he kills himself oh. in 98. That's where he goes. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and it's a bummer of a story. Uh, he t- tells a story about how he got uh, tossed out of a bar. He, you know how he killed himself? He actually threw himself in front of a bus. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> um, oh, he gets into this story about how he's with a couple of friends, right? In a bar in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. And they get tossed out of the bar because his friend says some racist things. What was it? Uh, what does it say here? Mostly, mostly what? It looks like it says ducks right there, so. Mostly, most, Moby Bills? What, who were they, who were they racist against? Moby Bills? Let me look at this again. Are those, mo- he was racist? mostly blacks? No, Moby Bilks. Mob of. Mob of. Something. Mob of Bilks. Bills. Mob of Bills? Is that a racist comment? I don't know, but he he goes on to basically say that his friend said the N-word to somebody, right? Okay, okay, and then they got followed, beat up, in a race war. Yeah. In a Burger King parking lot. In okay. a Burger King parking lot, yeah, they started a race war. <laughs> and then didn't he say he like makes up a lie about like how his dad is like a lawyer or yeah, something? Yeah, he said, my dad is the biggest drug lord in the Twin Cities. <laughs> I want names now. <laughs> I want names now. <laughs> leader, the leader of the gang walked up to him and said, Mike, you make me laugh. Let them leave. But one of his friends lost a testicle. Yeah, one of his friends lost a testicle during the, the commotion. So they were just race warring it up in a Burger King parking lot. Yeah. The leader comes up. Yeah, because he said, my dad's the biggest drug lord in the Twin Cities. I want names now. <laughs> in the middle of getting fucked up because his friend said the N-word. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> And apparently the leader was so, uh, you know, ingratiated by the fact that he said that, that he said, hey, man, I like you. Let's let these guys live. Let him go. Let him go, guys. He said something cool. No more race wars. No more race wars. This guy's cool. Hello, greetings, salutations, it's Nathan, broadcasting live from the basement. Take this moment, breathe and reflect, for your knees will begin feeling weak in a sec. This is a public service announcement to make girls heard, expert like the fountain of earth that is round in your verse is astoundingly whack. Cut the cable in the mouth, can someone give me a Stella? Pass the voice at Marcella, putting down these yellow belly fellas, oh yeah, hella. I want a hipster piss, I'm in my cellar, grab the mics, I'm a blistered ass, sick the damn good day. I'm the man you say, I disagree more than me, get your man's away. I got a plan to stay, in the barrel getting pitted. Told you not to do it, do it, you're going to get it. Can't pump my bass, so pump, pump your brakes. I eat chunks like roast beef on a lunch date. Must stay up to date, some flux of wits. Wait, your already for the fool your face. Uh, God dang, if I had one wish, I'd be driving a black Mustang like John Wick. That I purchased with rapper cash. That's a two in one, son, I have to laugh. Ha. Fuck making it, I'm making it happen. I'm accepting that I'll never get to get paper stacked. Fuck making it, I'm making it happen. Can I put on a clinic with this rap shit? Still, I'm hoping out I pull up so I'm drinking Coca Mentos. Eating Oriental food and freaking instrumentals. I want candy painted Cadillacs. I want to be in Caddyshack. Came out in the 80s. Yeah, time. I want to travel that. Decent. Yeah, gorilla style. Cool, Ella the Bills, illegitimate child. Uh, break me 
child that was exactly one half of half of mike lindell's what are the odds yeah from cracked cracked addict no crack addict not cracked crack crack addict yeah like the like the like the drug to ceo yeah we hope you enjoyed the first half of the half yeah and look out for the next half of the half it's coming up soon coming up soon y'all yeah we hope you enjoyed it uh if you guys want to hear uh more episodes like this uh let us know um we're going to be doing at least another like two or three of these so uh whether you like it or not uh it's coming out but (laughs) if you want to hear more sooner i guess uh let us know uh as soon as you can anything else you want to say uh no all right well keep in touch everybody and we'll check you out next time Say bye. Bye. Oh, you guys really stink. We were just singing the baby to sleep. Wake up, little Betty Bies. It was waking me up. When I lay me down to sleep. When the soul identifies with Maya, it forgets. Thus the soul is temporarily in darkness. It is deluded, and it dreams the mortal dream. Becoming increasingly involved and confused, the soul remains bound up with the world. The intuitive faculty becomes suppressed, and its perception of truth blotted out.